Welcome to the Conscious Business Podcast. I'm your host, Phoebe Lay, and I'm so excited that you're here today. On our podcast, we are going to be talking about the things that inspire you in business to help you create a conscious brand that will not only build credibility and give you more opportunities in your business to thrive, but also help you to create in a deliberate, conscious kind of way. This is a place where meaningful conversations will inspire you to create, pursue, and thrive and shine in business. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Conscious Business Podcast. I'm really looking forward to this episode and interview today because I have with me a wonderful marketer who is going to be sharing with us about all things customer, branding, case studies, and also marketing with AI. I have with me today Anthony Chansomuth from Sydney, Australia. Anthony is a content strategist, a copywriter, and a podcaster. His company, Simple Creative Marketing, is known for creating case studies and epic posts to drive traffic for web business owners so that they don't have to do it themselves. Anthony has worked with leading brands such as Bean Ninjas, Systemology, and Hub Australia. He's been featured in Forbes, Inc., Good Men Project, and Huffington Post. Anthony, how are you today? It's great to have you on the show. I am doing fantastic, Phoebe. Thanks for uh, inviting me to join you today. Such a pleasure and I'm so glad that we've connected and I'm really looking forward to chatting with you today because specifically you specialize in creating customer case studies to generate leads and sales. Now, this is something that is so unique because although a lot of business owners and businesses know that case studies are important, not a lot of them use it as a lead gen tool, as a specific lead gen strategy. So I'd love to hear about how you've helped people generate more sales and retain clients through your method. And I'm also really looking forward to chatting to you about how content marketing doesn't have to be complicated and some of the missing pieces that business owners and marketers facing and experiencing when it comes to promoting themselves online. So we have so much to dive into. But before we begin, Anthony, what was it that got you started in marketing and in this business in the first place? So that's an interesting question. I recently tweeted my journey from my first job, which was working for McDonald's, to landing into marketing. And I would say, you know, it's not a traditional path. I didn't go and study university, a marketing degree and do all those sort of things. I never worked at an agency Literally, I went from working in IT, becoming a project manager, getting an IT degree, and then transitioning across into social media. And then as a volunteer, I was learning how to use Facebook and Twitter. This is around 2009. And then that led into someone saying to me, hey, can you help us market or promote an event? We need to fill a room of 200 people and you have four months to do it. And so it was quite a challenge, but we were able to make it happen. And then I kind of felt, oh, this is something that I could really develop and potentially become a career. And so I did the jump. I was working in IT at the time and I, got, I was made redundant in 2009 when I was living in Canada because of the global financial crisis. And then I was just like experimenting with different things. I was handing out newspapers on the corners of the street in the subway stations. I was teaching salsa every Tuesday night at a church and teaching people how to dance and doing whatever I could to really just pay my rent at the time and, and, and pay my living expenses. But what I found was that I had a knack for marketing and really what it is for me is 
it's helping people and businesses to really identify and understand their own what makes them unique, what makes them different, and then articulating that and then framing that in a way that actually is compelling and what we call you know magnetic marketing. And that's how I got into it. When I came back to Australia in 2012, I ended up starting a Facebook agency with a guy I met randomly at an event here in Sydney. And uh, we ran that for two years. And then we split, went our own ways. And I ended up working as the marketing manager for one of Australia's largest co-working spaces, the largest at the time. And so I was there for a couple of years and then left to go out and do my own thing. And so that's how we ended up here today. Wow, what a journey. I mean, I love that you worked at McDonald's because our last guest actually also shared that she had worked at McDonald's and she is an absolute powerhouse. So the episode before you is, yeah, that's so funny that you did as well. And hearing your journey, I mean, like living in Canada, working like distributing newspapers and at the subway and even teaching salsa. That is so cool. I have also been learning bachata recently and a little bit of salsa in the last couple of years. So, um, cause my partner is Latin American. So that's very, very cool. I love hearing that you've come from such a diverse background and you obviously are a absolute like go-getter because you sound like one of those people who you just don't quit. And there's nothing that's going to be stop you from achieving your dreams and your goals. So that's really cool to hear that, Anthony. And I'm sure you have so many different stories from those that journey as well to share. But from that experience, what can you say at the moment, especially having worked at Australia's largest co-working space and doing their marketing, what is it that is currently, I guess, because there is so much noise out there, right? Like content is everywhere and people are reusing content and rehashing content and kind of like redistributing it in a different way. How can people be unique and still give value on social media and online these days? That's such a great question, Stevie. And I know you've done a previous episode on personal branding and the importance of personal branding in today's world. And it really comes down to spending some time to... I guess, audit and really ask questions about yourself and also with those who know you really well and and getting them to really share what do they see or perceive to be your unique factors. So an interesting process that I go through every couple of years is I will actually just post a question on my Facebook feed. And this is like my personal friends. They're not not all business people. They're people who've known me for years. And I'll just say, what's the first word that comes to mind when you think of me? And then people will say, like, by far, and this is the kind of why I really got into what I call authentic marketing is because everyone kept saying, you're so authentic. Like, that's what you are. And I struggled for years. I'll be honest with you, Phoebe. I had no idea how to monetize that because my brain goes, how do you make money being authentic? And then you fast forward five years later and everyone's talking about authentic marketing now. Like everyone's talking about, you got to have a personal brand and you got to speak from, you got to tell your own stories and you got to really share not only your strengths, but you've got to talk about your weaknesses. And for me, that's something that I've been doing for over two decades, you know, like just naturally. It's not something that I strategically thought, hey, I should be doing this. It's just more of, I just felt that the more digital we become, the more that we're losing trust in what we see online. And there's actually a lot of research coming out, you know, in the last five years, which says the younger generation, specifically what we call the zillennials, or the youngest generation right now have a very low trust of anything they're seeing online. 
And that's because they've been fed ads from Facebook that have been controlled. They're getting stuff in the media, which is aligned with their own values. And you could probably resonate with some of this, right? So for me to answer the question, how do you be more authentic or people or identify what makes you different? You need to go through a process of whether it's, like I said, just pen and paper is probably the easiest way and just ask yourself, okay, what makes me uniquely me? And I would start with even digging deeper into that and saying, okay, what are the core values that if I was to take away everything external and just look at what are the top three values that I have or three beliefs that I have that make me me, right? And we're not talking about your results. We're just talking about simply what do you believe? Because at the heart of any brand or any person or any company, there's a core set of beliefs that drives the way they do what they do, right? And I know this is the, you're all about consciousness and awareness, right? And this is a big process. I'm sure you've got a process that you can take people through. Probably previous episodes, we talk about this stuff, but I spent the last 30 years exploring this. I've gone on meditation retreats. I've done Vipassana. I've done, I've gone and hosted and facilitated self-awareness retreats out in nature. I've, I haven't done the, like the medicinal herbal stuff that haven't gone there, but certainly I've traveled over to over 50 countries now and just really immerse myself in different environments and different scenarios to understand, well, who is this person? What is it really all about? And a big turning point for me was 2009. My mother passed away with liver cancer. I was living in Canada. She was living here in Australia. And that I felt compelled to go to Laos, where I was born for the first time ever since, since we came to Australia, and then just go and visit the villages where my dad grew up, where she grew up, connect with family members who are still living there, and just try to understand who's our family, what are we really about, what, what motivates the way we do what we do, and that putting that all together, then I was able to really identify, oh, these are the three or four things that motivate me, right? And this is what makes me, me. And I actually worked with a healer, a good friend of mine who lives in Toronto. Her name's Sean Phelps, and she's an amazing business coach, but she doesn't call herself a business coach. She's actually, I think she calls herself an intuitive guide or something like this. But she works with like high power people that work for Netflix, people who work like film producers, like people you would, you and I would know, you know, might know. And they all come to her for the same reason, to understand what makes them them, right? And I sat down with her at lunch one day and I said to her, Sean, what do you see? What do you see of me, right? And this is probably 10 years ago, we had this conversation. And she said, you know what? I've seen you present and speak and facilitate workshops in a room. And you have your unique power is you create spaces for, what do you say? Creating spaces for inspired voices, right? And so, and letting them uh, be, letting them shine, right? Similar to what you, I mean, you've got the thrive and shine, right? So that's really what it came down to. And so I realized my role is to actually put the light on others and let them shine. And that's where I thrive. That's so amazing. And like, wow, I just I'm just absorbing everything that you've just shared and I feel like there is so much like so so much to uncover in our roots and I love that you went back to discover who you are before you continue because it must have been such a process and I can imagine I don't know if you were in Canada when she passed away or whether you got to see her yeah so I can imagine that would have been so hard and I love that you went back to your roots and connected with other people in your family. And I'm guessing also your ancestors as well, because that's where you're all from. And I think 
dare I say that would have been a process that allowed you to understand yourself better and also create a better business and also be able to help others more because the more we understand of ourselves and the deeper we've gone to search within and to look within, I think the more we're able to assist others, right? 100%. And so that's the like long answer to the question. And that's really, if we're going to bring it to business, another thing you need to do in the business is to understand your positioning, right? So there's a book out there by April Dunford, which is a, she released it last year, I think, which is all about positioning. And I recommend that to all my clients and friends. And I just say, look, you need to read that because it built on some other books that have been published before that, but she gives a framework and a template that you can use. And really a lot of businesses struggle with this and look, I'm not going to say I have all the answers. Um, I've struggled myself as well. I've been in business for over a decade. And so for me, what it comes down to is really understanding, you know, where your position is for a specific category right? So, um, you know, an example that we can use here is if you think about what's the, the best coffee, right? If What's the best coffee brand for you, Phoebe, if you drink coffee? Oh, I do drink coffee and I'm from Melbourne as well. And I feel like oh, that is a really hard one. That's actually a really hard one. All right. Well, what I'm is gonna your favorite go- cafe? I'm going to go Axel Coffee Roasters or it was either that, but Seven Seeds came, was the first thing that came to mind. So I'm actually going to go with Seven Seeds. <laughs> Good. Okay. So what's the difference between Seven Seeds and Axel? Like what's it for you in your mind? What's the difference? I think it would be the vibe. I think it, and also how frequently I see it. So yeah, like Seven Seeds Padre as well. Whenever you see it and there's a sign that says we sell Padre coffee beans or we make we brew Padre coffee. I'm like, oh, there's a cafe to go to. And I know I'll, I'm guaranteed a good roast. Hopefully they don't stuff up the milk, but at least the coffee beans will be good. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. So what you've just demonstrated is in your mind is in the category of coffee, you've got a ranking system and you've got an order, right? And that's based on your experience and what you know of the market. Here in Sydney, I'm a fan of Double Roasters and I'm holding the cup up on our video here. And, you know, they've got these cafes around this, all over the place that have that been. But the point I'm trying to make here is that, you know, for each category, no matter where, what your business is in, there's, there's a category or an industry or a vertical or a niche, right, whatever you want to call it. And so you need to understand where are the competitors placed, okay? And then where are you placed in that ladder? Because what happens is, with soft drink, for example, when I ask the question of most people and say, hey, what soft drink brand is number one? Nine out of 10 or even 10 out of 10 people will say Coca-Cola, right? And then, and this is consistent. No matter if I'm in Asia, I'm in the US, I'm in Australia, like no matter where I go in the world, the answer is the same, right? That's funny because, you know, like, how is that possible? Well, they've been doing it for almost 100 years now, right? Like with their marketing and advertising. But then you go, who's number two? And that changes. For some people, it's Pepsi. Some people, it's whatever it is, you know, you said maybe Sprite or whatever, right? And so every person has what we call a ladder and in their mind. And so it's really understanding, okay, for your audience, where do you sit in that ladder? Okay. And who's number one, who's number two, who's number three, right? And your goal should not be, let's replace number one, especially if they've been long established and you know, everyone knows who they are. Like I, if I was launching a CRM business tomorrow, I would not try and take over Salesforce right? Because they've got you know, million dollar, gazillion dollar budgets. You're not going to beat them. But what you can do is go, okay, how can I differentiate? So I'm not viewed as the competitor of Salesforce, right? But I could be a complementary service. I could be something that services a market that they don't service, 
right? And so then you become known as the brand that does that thing for this specific audience. And that's the work that I do with businesses, okay? So we really work out what the categories are and then we then identify where do you place within that, right? And what makes you uniquely unique, okay? And we tie that to values as well, which is what we talked about earlier. That's so important because I think great positioning helps us to understand why our products or our service is different and it helps us improve against our competition as well. And a lot of the time people don't necessarily see us in the same way that we see ourselves and as at the same time looking at our competition in the same ways as our buyers are. So I think it's really important to understand that. And I love that that's the work that you do with your clients as well, because that's a big part of understanding your strategy and understanding your values and what makes you unique. So definitely an alternative to the traditional type of marketing where people are just working on their vision and their mission and they're looking within, but not looking externally as well. Yeah, you need a good mix of both. Definitely. Yeah, I love that. And how would you say that, I know that your company focuses a lot on retaining clients and getting more sales through case studies. What would you say is the one thing people are not doing when it comes to setting up their case studies? So there's two. The one thing is they're not systemizing the process of collecting consistent customer stories. Right, So a project I just completed for a client was to actually implement a customer survey process within their business. So every time a job was completed, they would then have an email that goes out to the client saying, hey, you know, it's great working with you on that project. Can you quickly click on this link and fill out a two-minute survey and just answer two questions, right? And this is, if you're familiar with NPS, Net Promoter Score, the survey is structured with the first question is on a scale of zero to 10 you know, how likely are you to refer us to a friend or tell a friend about what we do, right? And then based on what number they select, then it says, okay, why did you choose that number, right? So then you're getting both quantitative and also qualitative data. And then what we do is when someone scores an eight, nine, or 10, right, we've got a follow-up process, which is straight away, send the client an email. Thank you for filling out our survey. You gave us an eight, nine, or 10. We love that. And we'd love to invite you to participate in a customer success story. Right. So, and then if you have that as a regular part of your system, then what happens is you don't have to worry or have to remember and remind yourself, hey, I should really be collecting stories. It's already embedded within the way you do customer service and the way you do your marketing as well. Yeah. Amazing. I love that. And I think that that sounds like something that everyone should be doing regularly. And I mean, like for me, a lot of the time I'm so focused working with the customers. I'm almost afraid to kind of like bring in like, oh, can you write me a testimonial or how are things going? Because you almost feel like you want to just be constantly serving. But I think asking those questions is really important. And I'd love to know, like, how early on would you say or would you recommend that someone starts to ask a client or a customer for a case study or for an NPS? I'd say as soon as you can. So whether you're just starting out, if you're starting out, you don't have credibility in the market. And the best way to sell, right, is to sell with credibility. So we buy on social proof. We buy on evidence that whatever you're selling works, right? Imagine like I took my car to get service this morning. Imagine I rocked up to them and said, hey, have you ever worked on a car before? And they said, no, right? I'm not handing over my car to you to fix for four hours and then paying you thousands of dollars. Like that's not going to happen. So why do we do that in the business world? Right. So we got to think about, hey, 
the best way for us to sell is to demonstrate that we've done it before and we have a repeatable process that produces some kind of result, right? And case studies are a great way to show that. And what about in the customer journey? Like how early on in your journey with your new client should you ask for a case study or a testimonial or a feedback, for example? So it really depends on the type of work that you do. So if you have, if your projects typically run for a month or three months, I would say if it's a type of project where there's a clear completion, like for me, when I do copywriting, there's a clear demarcation of, hey, the job's done. It's like we have a review, then we have a sign off. The client says, yes, I love this. We're done. At that point, that's a good time to send the survey, right? If you have a, let's say someone who's listening to this has, maybe they're in corporate sales or they're in some kind of other long, like even a coach that runs a 12-month program, right? For them, it would make sense to not wait until the end of the 12 months. I would be doing maybe every quarter, every three months, checking in with your client. You should be doing it on a monthly basis anyway, but certainly every three months saying, hey, you know, we've been together 90 days now. You've implemented some things based on my coaching. Do you mind talking about that and just letting me know what your progress is? Okay. And you could have that in your coaching conversation and then get the feedback, right? Or you can do it systematically. Like what I've talked about earlier is send a link and say, hey, can you fill this out? Give me two minutes and just give me some feedback. I'd like to know one, how you're doing Two, how can I make it better for you for the next 90 days? Right. And so what client doesn't want to have that opportunity to tell you how to improve your service for them? Right. So does that answer the question, Phoebe? Absolutely. It does. And I definitely think that Quarterly reviews is a really great thing, especially for people that are long-term with their clients. Like for example, my business, our clients come to us for anywhere between three months, two, three years. It depends Mm. on really the return on investment that they are getting. But initially it's always quarterly. So I definitely think that for us, for example, we like to have a big quarterly review and and definitely get feedback then. And, And I reckon that would be a great time for a lot of people to implement the process that you have. I know you've got a framework and I love frameworks. I think that every effective system or coach has a framework and a process that they use. We've got a seven-step framework ourselves just for marketing with our clients. What's your framework on how you write effective case studies with your clients? Cool. So I'll take you through, I call it the seven Ps and I've got a seven step process as well. I would love to reduce it to three, but it's seven and and to stick with that. So let's go through it. So the first one is basically, I call it punchy headline. So you want to start with a really punchy headline and this is a copywriting technique. So if you don't know about copywriting, this is one of the things you learn is your headline needs to grab your ideal prospect or your ideal reader's attention So we want it short, we want it punchy, and typically we want it to have some kind of metric-driven result, right? So if you're in B2B and that's who I typically work with, then a lot of it, you know, common question is going to be, what's the ROI, right? If I invest in you or in your service, okay, what's the ROI? When do I get the return on the investment? These are common questions. So your headline should speak to the ROI in some way, okay? The second P is profile customer. And that's really where we spend some, this could be a paragraph or it could be the first minute of your video. If you're doing a video format, you want to highlight who the client is. And more specifically, you want to highlight what category they're in and what type of person, business, 
whatever it is that they represent. Okay. And so there is, I should mention before we get into even developing the case study, we typically have a strategy session or a workshop and we go through and, and really get clear on, well, who's your buyer persona or personas, right? But for this case study, who are we trying to target? And with that person or company in mind, then we start writing off the case study. Okay. So then we know that when we're selecting the clients, we're selecting the clients that match that persona, right? If you're trying to attract more e-commerce businesses into your world, it doesn't make sense for you to go and do a profile or a case study about a government agency. It doesn't resonate to fit with your marketing and your business objectives. Okay. So we always start with, okay, let's profile the customer, show the category. And this circling back to our conversation earlier about positioning, right? So this is how we're positioning the story. And we're also letting the reader know, hey, this is who we support. We serve businesses like this. And then we move to the third P, which is problem statement. And here we're really getting clear on what challenges your client went through before they signed up for your service. And it's also, I like to talk about what we're really doing here is presenting the context by which they came to you, why they made the decisions to sign up with you. And that's super important, particularly in sales. Remember, one of our objectives for case studies is to help sell more. So if you've done your work and understand what your common buyer objections are or sales objections are, this is a good place to list those objections because then the whoever's reading this goes, oh my gosh, I have that same concern. And so here's another you know, business who had that concern, but they went ahead and worked with you anyway. And so, and then they had a great result. Okay. So this is kind of psychological stuff going on here at the same time. So we talk about the problem statement. Then we go into process, the fourth P. And here we're really showcasing your expertise and we're doing it by sharing your methodology, you know, your seven-step process, three-step process, whatever it is for you. Okay. You want to list out here are the steps that I took the client through in order to achieve the outcome. All right. And that's where you show the, yourself as the expert. If you skip this path, you know, there are some case studies I've seen out there where they don't show the process because perhaps the vendor or the supplier is concerned that people might go and rip off their system or whatever it may be. And that's a valid concern, right? If you have some very secret source and you don't want people to know about it, it makes sense. I would put to you though, that if you hide too much information, then you lose the credibility because then, then you have a result. You might have a great outcome, but then people are going, but how did you do that? Right. And that how question, particularly for some people can mean a difference of saying yes or no. Okay. So the fourth P is process. The fifth P is payoff. And this is tied to the first P, which is the punchy headline. And we're going to expand on the result and the outcome. We're going to talk about, okay, in the headline, we said that this company was able to generate five times the income or save 20 hours a month, right? Whatever it is, the result is, okay. What's the impact of that result to them, to their business, to their life, to their team, right? What does it mean? Does it mean that they were able to go and invest in growth? Were they able to take time off and go on a holiday for the first time in five years? Does it mean that they were able to, whatever, whatever it is for your clients, all right, what do they care about beyond that key metric? Because, you know, we're not in business just to like have key metrics. We're doing it so we can have a life and we want to live our lives. And so here's where we want to talk about the real emotional benefits of the experience, right? And then we move on to the 6P, which is praise. And here is where we actually incorporate a testimonial, right? And a common question I get is, what's the difference between a testimonial and a case study? And why would I choose one over the other? I actually don't say, I'm not advocating you choose one or the other. I actually say you do both, right? And you actually ask your client, 
if you were to share this experience to a mate while you're at the bar or out for lunch, okay, what would you say in your words? Okay. And the nice thing about asking that question is you get a testimonial that's authentic, that's spoke in the way the client talks and is not filled with all kind of like all this jargony, technical languaging that we as a specialist tend to use. Right. And I, cause whenever we read a testimonial that's full of jargon, you're like, you know, my immediate reaction is did a copywriter write that? Because, you know, like that's not what someone would say, like, I, I, you know, and so you want the client testimonial as the praise, the six P, the final P, the seventh P is proposed next step, which in marketing we call the, the CTA or the call to action. And what we want, we want to answer here is what's the next logical step for the reader to connect with you if they love the story, if they were compelled and they're like, oh, this is so good and I want to learn more about this service or this product. Okay. What's the next thing they need to do? Okay. You know, and that could be opt in for your newsletter. That could be book a call, get on a call and have a chat. That could be check out your pricing page, whatever it is for you. Seven P's. So I just recap those one punchy headline, two profile customer, three problem statement, four process, five payoff, six praise. And then the seventh P propose your next step. Wow. I love that you came up with so many different P's. I mean, that was profile customer. That's the first time I've heard who, because obviously people normally go the who, the what, the how, Mm. and you put it as a, one of the P's in your framework. That's awesome. And I think process payoff praise and propose are also really important and definitely punchy headline. I mean, that's like that's one of the keys to even my framework, like outlet, like the top number one ingredient to a great landing page, for example, or your, a great lead magnet is your headline. And so I think that all seven of those are very, very important. Now, just to move on a little bit to content marketing, because obviously content is king and that's what they say anyway. I don't know if that will ever change, but We're moving now more towards value-based marketing and marketing is no longer about selling and advertising like they do on TV and radio. It's really about like showing up, being consistent, being present, having your presence and then delivering great content. And when people are ready, they'll know that you are the expert and the go-to. Now, there is a misconception that content marketing is complicated And I'm wondering why that is. Like, what do you think is the reason why people think content marketing is complex or they avoid it? The reason why I think a lot of people struggle with content marketing or avoid it is because they get overwhelmed because they're looking at examples of the Gary V's of the world that is constantly pushing out 20 pieces of content every day on 20 different platforms. And they're going, oh my gosh, I can't do that. You have to also understand that he's got a team of like 30 digital marketers working for him to generate all his content. And for most of us solo entrepreneurs or, you know, co-founders and small businesses, we, we just don't have that luxury or those budgets to do that. And there's a lot of myths out there around, hey, you got to be on social media. You got to do run Facebook or Google ads. You got to do this. You got to do that. And it's just so many tactics and you just get confused. It's very easy to go, oh my gosh, I don't even know where to begin right? And I always bring it back to in the initial consultations with people. I just say, well, let's be realistic for your business. What is your financial goal for the month? Like what's actually a win for you? What would cover your bills and your expenses and make the business sustainable? 
And then once you have that answer, then you can go, okay, well, how many clients or products do you need to sell to hit that goal? Right. And now based on that, then we go, okay, well, how many, you know, what's your conversion rate? And I'm working backwards here and I go, okay, well, if we get 20 people in front of you, right, that are ideal fit in, in your audience, and then you can convert 50% of those, right. And five of those sell, and you're selling five consulting packages at a grand a month, and that's five grand for you and you're winning. Right. So I think it's, it, we get so confused by all this content and everything like there's literally millions of articles being published every single day. And now we're talking about podcast episodes as well and YouTube videos and all these kind of things, TikTok videos, if you're doing TikTok and it's just, it's too much. And the other challenge people have is, well, what order or sequence do I need to do those in? Okay. Because I don't know, should I be doing my landing page first or should I be doing email marketing first, or should I be going out and doing networking events? What's the sequence? Okay. And we really distill that. One of my key messages is, Hey, you don't need to do all of those things, right? You just need to start with one. Let's start with one particular understanding where your audience is and then just focus on that for 90 days, right? To reaching them in that space and testing and experimenting. And then we can add, if that's working well, we can add another channel, right? Or another place to go. And so I can tell you one of my, my graphic designer, she doesn't use social media at all. And she's been running a successful design business for the last five years has never posted one thing on Twitter, on Facebook. Like she doesn't even bother. And she's been able to successfully build her business and sustain a living just through like networking and going to co-working spaces and building relationships, right? So don't buy into, I got what you said earlier, Phoebe, about content is king or content is queen. And I definitely am an advocate of that because I've seen what the power of what content can do for you. At the same time, it's not the only way. You need to find the way that works for you uh, and your preferences, right? So simple example, big common question I'm getting now is should I start a podcast, right? And it's like, well, do you like speaking, right? Do you like interviewing people? Do you like talking to a mic? And if the answer is no, uh, don't do it. Like, why would you do it? Like, you're going to suck first of all, you're going to hate it. And then people can pick up on the quality. They're going to listen to it and go, oh my gosh, it sounds like you hate being there, right? And I don't want to buy from someone who hates being there. Like, that's just bad vibes. So like identify, it comes back to our earlier conversation around understanding your strengths, understanding what you like, your preferences, and creating the business and the lifestyle that you want to create based on your own preferences, right? I totally agree. And I think that I look back, for example, at when I used to make content and think that it had to be perfect and how much of a struggle it was to get content out versus when I just realized that content was doesn't necessarily have to be packaged in the same way as Gary Vee or Tony Robbins or, you know, Marie Folio and Jenna Kutcher and, and all those creatives and, you know, businesses that have the budget or have been around for a long time, for example. It's really about, in fact, it comes back to authenticity. And we talked about this at the very beginning, but I think it really is about giving value in a way that is engaging with people and it also not only engages people and piques their interests but there's something unique and different that other people haven't you're not ripping off other people you've actually created it yourself and sometimes I think that obviously value is important and producing great content is important but at the same time like if you don't want to create so much content all the time but you've got for example, a book or you've got a video that you can unpack and repurpose, 
you can just repurpose that as well or share your framework like what we've just done. There are so many different alternatives to just traditional content and just information, information, information. And that's why when I work with my clients, I, we always come up with at least five content pillars so that at least almost every single day of the week, my clients have a pillar that they can lean back on if they ever run out of creative juice and they go, okay, well, today I'm going to share about a win or today I'm going to share about a tip in this regard and there's something for them to go back to. I think that that's great. I love that, Phoebe, and I love that you take your clients through that because I think the way to overcome overwhelm is to actually have a structure. So when you can get very clear on, I'm doing this on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, like whatever, you break down your five days and you break out what your themes are for each day. Like that's a really smart approach. And it just removes the challenge of getting lost in, oh my gosh, you know, clean slate. I'm just sitting there and I've got a pen or I've got my keyboard ready to go or a video camera in front of me. And I have no idea what I'm going to talk about today. And for a lot of us, we're so overwhelmed with all the things we have to do on a day-to-day basis already, right? to create content is adding more to the mix, right? And, and it's just like, and that's why we push it off. It's just like too hard basket. I'm not going there. And that's why a lot of, honestly, that's why a lot of clients outsource their stuff to people like you and I. They're like, can you just solve the problem for me? And for them, that works. They've got the budget and it makes sense. Yeah. But if you're wanting to, there is also an argument here to say, you know, it can be better if you're producing your own content because coming back to authenticity, right? No one's going to be as authentic as you in sharing your own message. Definitely. And even when I edit, like, for example, this video that we're recording right now as we speak, I know that when I outsource it, it takes a lot longer to do, to explain what I'm after than if I was to just whip it up myself. And even though that might not be my technical genius zone, at least I know what I want to get out of it. And I've seen that the clients that don't know much about marketing that say they don't know much about marketing their content are the ones that go viral it's actually not the ones that are really you know they brush up really well and yeah it's actually the strangest phenomenon but it's not it's just that even the algorithm I think knows when something is authentic versus something that's like really done well and it's almost like it's an airbrushed video you'll find that the ones that are just like raw and real are going to go the furthest and the algorithm supports it. So Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn, pro, raw and authentic. 100%, 100%. Just like us, we see someone who's super, I had a conversation with someone yesterday and they said, yeah, I said, what do you do? He's, he invested in the studio at his house. He's got you know the, the lighting, the cameras, all that green screen, the whole thing. And I said, why don't you use it? Because he doesn't really use it. When he does his videos, he just sits on his couch and he puts the camera on his face and he's like so chill. And he said, because when I do the polished version, I don't get the same level of conversions. People don't want the polished version. They want the raw Adrian sitting on a couch video, right? And they resonate with that guy who's not in the suit, who's just you know doing what he does because they feel like he's one of us right? And they don't feel like he's a marketer or a salesperson trying to do sell something to them, right? And that's important. Yeah, I love that. And I think that even the equipment that we use, and I mean, obviously I'm all for great camera quality and good road microphones, but sometimes you're better off just starting with what you have than spending and investing all that money on equipment that you're not going to end up using if you're not passionate or if you discover that you don't enjoy doing what you do or you got it for the wrong reason. So 
I think just start where you are and then advance as you go along. I, yeah, I'm a big fan of that. And Anthony, I wanted to also talk a little bit about artificial intelligence because I know AI in terms of like copywriting and content writing is something that people are starting to get the hang of and use a lot more than before. It's actually something that a client recommended to me previously. And I remember when I first checked it out, I was like, well, this will save me a lot of time. And I quickly kind of, well, before I share what my experience was, like, what are your thoughts on artificial intelligence software replacing content writers or copywriters? This is a hot button topic. And, you know, I'm glad you brought it up. So essentially where I sit right now has changed from where it was a few years ago. And certainly there was already rumblings and goes of this thing that's going coming into the market, this copyright artificial intelligence is coming, it's going to take our jobs and all these sort of things were happening. And it's, of course, the initial reaction and response, gut reaction is, oh my gosh, fear, I'm going to lose my job, right? And then I explored further. And at the time, if we go back five years ago, when I first heard of AI for copywriting specifically or content, it was too expensive right? You literally had big corporations investing in these tools and they were paying hundreds of thousands of dollars, $20,000 a month just to get access to the technology. Fast forward to 2021, 2020 last year, and you can literally pay hundred bucks a month to get these tools and then use them, right? And so I started testing, beginning of this year, actually, I started testing different copywriting software that are, are driven by AI and I wanted to see what the quality was like. Like I did a test two years ago for one, a couple of sites that had like early technology and they were shocking. Like you would type in a keyword, write an article about coffee, for example, and it would spit out a bunch of garbage and you couldn't really read it. It wasn't legible. And I'm like, there's no way, like no one, that's not a concern for me right now. But then this year, when I started testing the tools again, I was blown away because I was like, oh my gosh, like the quality of this content like it's literally, it takes me, what well, used to take me four hours to write for, you know, let's say a 2000 word article or whatever it may be. It takes me half the time now using AI software. Okay. And now there's one thing that if you see the ads, if you see, if you're in the copywriting communities, particularly the AI communities, they like to oversell the product. Right. And what I mean by that is a lot of people are saying, oh yeah, you know, I don't need to have an editor anymore. I don't need to have a copywriter. You know, I can just run it through this tool and it will spit out a bunch of content that's unique and original and that's enough. Okay. From my experience playing with the tool, you know, for at least or at least 10 months now is that yes, it will cut down your time for writing and, and where it really is efficient and helps you is in brainstorming. Okay. So if you get stuck and have what we call writer's block and you're like, Oh, what should I write about? It can really like give you tons of ideas really quickly. Okay. And, and give you, you know, his, because what it does, it looks at, if we're talking about part of the technology I'm using is called GPT-3. And it basically, what they've done is they've loaded the software with something like 90% of the internet up until 20, 2019. Okay. So there's nothing, if you were trying to use these tools to write about COVID-19, you would have no idea what COVID-19 is because it's not in the data. Right. But it can give you ideas. And that's where I find it really useful. And so the challenge is it doesn't, give you the published final content. You cannot just have it right for you and then go and put it on your website or send it to your clients, right? Uh, you still need to have a human in editor to go through it, fix up any grammar. And yes, it does make grammar mistakes. You need to fix the language, right? You need to 
fact-checked anything it puts in there because it might spit out all these random facts and you're like, oh, that sounds good. It's, you know, it's saying 50% of business owners do this. And then you go and fact-check it and it's totally inaccurate. It's not right. There's no report that even says anything about that. So you got to be careful about the type of content that you want and you need. And then you, you need to always have an editor to actually review, check all the data. And then coming back to that conversation we had about authenticity and differentiation, right? The best way to differentiate your content from anyone else's and make it unique is to share personal stories, personal experiences that you've had in your life and no one else has had because you were there and they weren't there, right? And guess what? The AI tools can't do it because that's not written anywhere on the web. So it can't get those stories from your head. So you have to actually input that information into your content and really make it yours. So I'm pro AI. I like where it's going, right? And I do see a space within the next five to 10 years where it can really like a lot of content writers are utilizing the tool, but it's almost like the conversation around Canva and all the traditional graphic designers, right? Because Canva is basically disrupting the whole graphic design space uh, and making it easier for anyone to graphic design theoretically, right? And then there are some graphic designers who go, that's terrible. That's not graphic design. You know, you need, I've been studying Photoshop for 20 years and whatever, but then, but they get left behind because what happens is the market is moving so fast and everyone else is going, well, I want a graphic designer who also uses Canva, right? And who can create templates in Canva so I can do some stuff myself, but I still need the professional to do certain work. With copywriting and content writing, you still need the professional editor. You still need that person or the strategist who understands what you're trying to do with the content to look at it, to frame it and craft it. And then you can use the tool to support the process, but it doesn't replace the writers completely. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I love the analogy of like comparing it to Canva and Photoshop because we have literally had that exact same scenario where we had a designer that would only use Photoshop but then we had a client that wanted things done on Canva. And luckily, we've got other parts of our team that are Canva friendly. So we were able to accommodate that client, but that designer unfortunately missed out. So yeah, I do think that we need to have a, like be open to technology that's going to make our lives easier. Personally, when I, the system that I use, which was called Simple Marketing AI, I tried it for a little bit and I thought it was great in like putting information together and for example, typing in a few keywords, like why do Facebook ads not work, for example, and it'll come up with all these points, but definitely I still needed to add in my story, my own experiences and really make it my own because you're getting a raw piece of material that ultimately is created by a bot. And if you don't add your own tone of voice to it, like it will end up being a bit of like just a piece of content that people see and forget. So yeah, yeah, I, I think a combination is good. It's like another sort of to add on to that. It's there are tools out there that are good for search engine optimization as well, like for searching for keywords, for working out how and what Google is looking for in order to get your content ranking on page one, for example. But it's this argument that happens in the SEO world, which is are we writing for Google rankings or are we writing for humans that want to read the content, right? Because if you're just filling your entire article with keywords because you're trying to get onto page one, because you think that Google wants all these keywords to be in there, right? This is how, you know, if we go back five or ten, seven years ago, this is what used to happen, right? You could literally write a 300 word blog post, stuff it with all these keywords and get onto page one, 
Google worked it out. They went, they realized that that was not the best user experience because people who were searching for those keywords wanted real valuable content, right? So Google, they introduced a change in the algorithm and basically said, any sites that are doing that, we're going to ban you, right? And so it comes back to what's the intent of the content? What are you trying to do with it? Who's it speaking to? Is it part of your business? Is it part of your funnel? Why is it there? And really, are you really adding value with that piece? A big problem that I'm seeing right now is a lot of would-be writers are using these software tools to really just rip off pages and articles that are already ranking well on the first page of Google. And they're just replicating and then tweaking things. And it's just, it's a weird, like not fully plagiarizing, but still plagiarizing and tweaking. And it's like, they're just playing this game to game the algorithm. That's what it is. And then you realize, wait a minute, but the real valuable content is the one where, like you say, Phoebe, where you're putting your own story, your own data, right? If you were in the marketing world, nothing beats a great data-driven case study or article where you're like, here's the actual experiment we ran. Here's a screenshot of the Facebook ads. Here's a screenshot of Google Analytics. Here's the, like, AI software can't pull those images. Like, it doesn't have the ability to do that. I'm going to say yet, because I'm going to say maybe in the next 10 years it will. But for now, that can't be done, right? So you just got to be careful. And I will also say that for certain types of writing, it doesn't work. So for creative writers, if you're someone who's writing like creative stories and you're trying to win literary awards and you're trying to do these sort of things, AI content is not the best for that kind of stuff. And it's also not great for technical content, right? So for some clients where your work is technical in nature, right, the AI software can't, it just does that terribly, right? And so it's not for everyone. It's more for general, like marketing copy and general writing. But again, I view it as, that's your like writing junior writing assistant, but you still need to be the editor. You still need to be the senior writer, have someone on your team who does that for you. Absolutely. I could not agree more. And I think it's fantastic that we touched on so many different things today. We touched on case studies, we touched on your framework and also AI and content. Anthony, I'd love to if you don't mind, ask you some rapid fire questions because I'd love my guests and the listeners for our listeners to understand my guests as well and and to know you on a deeper level. So if you don't mind, do you mind if I ask you some questions that will give people some more insights into oh. you and your world? Absolutely, go for it. Okay, you. fantastic. Awesome. So my first question, Anthony, is if you could do one thing or if there was one thing you couldn't live a day without, what would it be? I'm going to be the soppy husband. I'm going to say it's going to be my wife. And I tell her this as much as I can. <laughs> and when I say to her, I could not do what I do without you. Like, I'm not lying. <laughs> like It's just, you know, you being an entrepreneur too, you know how much effort it takes to build a business, to get it working, to you have months where the cash flow really sucks. You have months where it's great. You have, it's a roller coaster all the time. And you need to have that stable person, right, with you. And for me, it's my wife who's like grounded, who's like, okay, you know, it's going to be okay when things go wrong and, it, and we're still good. And, and she's certainly been the rock for me ever since we met, you know, six years ago. And so that's my answer for that question. Oh, that's so beautiful. I think it's so amazing. All the, partners out there who are listening if your partner is a business owner and you've been with them through the storm and through all the different ups and the downs you guys are amazing because I agree I think that our partners are the ones that really help us feel supported when everything is you know a bit uncertain and especially through COVID as well that's a big one yeah 
And without using the same answer as quite your answer for question one, <laughs> who inspires you the most or what inspired you to do what you do today? So that's changed over the years in terms of the who specifically, but my answer to the question will be my family. And specifically, I'm talking about my dad and my mum. I mentioned earlier, my, mom, my mother passed away with cancer in 2009, actually, that's when it happened. So for me, she was 55 years old, so that's young, right? And to me, that was a huge wake-up call that it was time for me to focus on doing things that meant something and not just yeah. doing it just to chase money or just to, for status or whatever it is. Like it's, it's more important to do things that you really care about. And now that we're going through the pandemic and everyone being forced through lockdowns and all these sort of things, it was enough an awakening to remind us that what's really important might not be the things that we were chasing pre-pandemic. And so, yeah, my family, my dad, like he's my personal superhero because he's a man who like went through world a war. He fought as a soldier in the Vietnam War, survived it. He escaped our country in 1979 and picked up his little boy and, and his wife and went to this new country, didn't speak the language, didn't know anything, not much money at all, and built a life over here. And you know, their whole purpose was to have a better life for them and, and their child. And so for me, we fortunately, knock on wood here, we will never have to experience what they went through in terms of war and seeing some of the, the horrific things that I've heard about, you know, even from, from his stories. So my dad inspires me for sure. And what I work towards now is actually doing things that our family haven't done before. I was the first in my family to graduate university overseas. And then also the first to not the first to run a business, but certainly for me, it's going to be, I'm building wealth and I'm building legacy because I'm looking at how can we change the path of our, our family and particularly our relationship with money. And that's a huge one for me. Yeah, massive, definitely. And a, a total different generation as well. So it, it's a different money story and whole new relationship with it that our family may not have experienced when they were in their times in, yeah, when they were our age. Cool. And that leads me to my next question, which is, where do you see yourself in five years' time? It's a timely question for you to ask because the last month or the last couple of weeks, I've been really thinking about my current business model and shifting it next year. And because I want to be in five years' time, I want to be living and working my way and doing things that actually light me up daily, right? And so one of the things I did the post a couple of days ago for my group, but also for my newsletter, where I wrote about over the last two years, I've missed doing certain things. Like I, you know, I've missed traveling with my wife and going on crazy adventures, you know, around the world. I miss, you know, playing sport with my buddies and doing that kind of stuff. I miss networking events or running retreats and doing kind of things in nature and, and all these things that really I miss interviewing cool people, right? And that's kind of that's why I'm really enjoying this conversation with you because everything I realized at the heart of all of that is I have a deep desire to connect. And so I want to have a business that gives me more time in that connect piece and less time in all the admin and all the other things that are happening right now with just the way it's structured. So that's where I want to be in five years time for the business. And in terms of our lifestyle, my wife and I are actually talking about buying and building a tiny home and really simplifying the way we live and getting back to the things that are important to us, right? I also want to be an investor. I've already started doing some investments this year, but I want to grow that. I want to grow passive income. And I also want to do more impact work. So that, whether that's donating to causes that we care about, volunteering time, but really giving back. You know, I've done bits and pieces along the way, but I'd like to really amplify that in the next five years. 
Amazing. I hope that all goes well. I think investing is definitely seems to be something that a lot of people are looking into at the moment. So that's really, really cool. And if you could leave the world with one message, what would it be, whether it's your legacy or one thing that you want to share with the audience and the listeners today? That's an easy one because I sign off my signature email signature of this one. It's basically live confidently and passionately. Love it. Thank you so much. So, guys, I hope you guys have, like, been writing down notes and taking down some of the golden nuggets that Anthony has shared with us because there's so much that, you know, even for me, this conversation has enlightened me to, well, re-excited my passion for copywriting and marketing. And Anthony, I'm really excited to chat with you more outside of the podcast platform and also getting to know you better as well and what you do in particular. And I'm really looking forward to understanding you and also your business at another level. So thank you so much for your time, for sharing this with us. And for anyone that wants to connect with Anthony, I'm going to pop his links and website in our show notes. And um, feel free to obviously connect with him on social media. Anthony, is there a platform that you particularly prefer where people can find you the most? Yep. Currently, Twitter is probably the best place to find me. So, or Facebook, I'm on both. So just Anthony, Anthony C, you have to look at the, the way we spell my name. But I guess the easiest way to connect to me is go to my website, which is simplecreativemarketing.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. And anyone that wants to jump on Anthony's Twitter and Facebook, that's also going to be in the show notes as well. Awesome, guys. Have a lovely and wonderful day ahead. And we will come back to you for the very next episode very soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Anthony.